0: This is Aspire, Arch Street Public Radio, a content-driven platform broadcasting interviews from our Innovate, Innovate Media, Innovate CSR, and Innovate Under 30 podcast series. Aspire gives public voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders within the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, academia, journalism, and social entrepreneurship. My name is Holly Kamisa, Associate Director of Communications for Arch Street Press and I'll be your host today.
1: Today our guest is Chris Ategeka, CEO and founder of Rides for Lives, which provides vehicles that allow people in developing countries to access health services and economic opportunities. Rides for Lives builds adaptive and cost-efficient vehicles designed specifically to meet the demands of the regions where they are used. Chris grew up in northwestern Uganda. He received his B.S. and M.S. in mechanical engineering from the University of California, Berkeley, which he attended on a scholarship. His work has been featured by Yahoo, the San Francisco Chronicle, Fast Company, TED, NPR, BBC, and the United Nations. Chris is an Ashoka Fellow and a Cordace Fellow. Among his many awards include the 2015 Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award and recognition as a 2014 United Nations Global Accelerator. Chris was also named one of Forbes' 2014 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneurs Who Are Changing the World. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you with us today.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: Did you have any childhood experiences growing up in Uganda that opened your eyes to the need for improved medical access?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I grew up in that region, and I've been part and experienced all the issues associated with poverty, as you can imagine, from hunger, eating out of trash cans, homelessness, you know, hard labor, anything that um, that's associated to poverty, diseases and all that stuff. Um, and it affects you. But during that time when it happens you are really hopeless. You um, the best you can do is sit down and cry. But um, as time went on and they had a technical background uh, combining those experiences I was able to come up with a, a solution. Uh, knowing that now I can do something.
1: Did your childhood or any early experiences directly show you the importance of education in your life?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when you, you know, you're in some part of the world and where most populations are marginalized and there's so much poverty and pain all around, um, the people you see that have some sort of power uh the ones who are like local uh, leaders local chairperson or a village chief or somebody who has some sort of uh, education regardless of how big or small the education level is um, and that kind of inspires you to want to achieve that but at the same time if you don't have the resources to uh, it's it's really tough but um, uh, it's that idea of Individuals with some sort of power and some sort of a say in society had some sort of education, yeah.
1: So you were educating both Uganda and America. What was this like for you?
2: It's a a very interesting experience. Um, In Uganda, the education system is quite different. Um, You know, it's not... You know, you come to America, um, everything is... um, new. You have to adapt to it. Um, as a person who has never seen computers and have to learn programming, you don't know how to turn on a computer, but you've got to learn how to program it. Uh, and, and things like that. Um, the education system the other side in Uganda is uh, kind of geared towards you read a book, the entire book, and you do one exam at the end of the year. If you fail it, you repeat the whole year. If you pass it, you go into the next class. Wow. Uh, but here, it's kind of, kind of cut down into chapters and tiers whereby you, you know, you do chapters one through four and you take an example that, in you know, semester or quarter and then you move on. So it's a very different system.
1: And how did your education and the time that you spent in both Uganda and America shape your understanding of access to health care?
2: Um, I, I think it's less of the education, more of the experiences. Um, I you know, lost my parents to HIV when I was very young, and that's an access problem. Um, you know, in this day and age, individuals uh, shouldn't or even uh, those still happen and die of HIV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be some sort of a nuisance. to take a pill every day and you should be able to live to be a hunter. Um, but you know, when you lose your parents, you lose numerous relatives, you lose siblings, and all these are illnesses that could be uh, something that shouldn't kill someone, um, it, it really, really kind of gets deep into your core, and with that much pain, you want to do anything you can to to, uh, to at least put a small dent in the problem. Mm-hmm.
1: What are the major problems you see with healthcare and access in developing countries?
2: Um, again, it goes because the world is run by the forces of demand and supply. Um, it comes down to uh, most folks in, in, in rural areas live on less than a dollar a day and they don't have the purchasing power. Uh, purchasing power relies in the hands of the government and international NGOs who are the ones who have the money to, to, to buy stuff. Um, so the biggest challenge in, in the developing countries, especially in the healthcare field, is the idea that individuals who need the service, who need the support, who need the, the medical attention can't pay for it. They can't afford to pay for it. You find that individual has to walk many, many miles to go to a hospital 10, 15 miles away and they get there, the, the doctor is not there and they have to wait a couple of days or hours <coughs> Excuse me, to be able to to see the doctor. Um, So I think it's it's, uh, uh, the idea that individuals cannot afford to pay though they need the service.
1: What does Rides for Lives do to help address these sort of problems?
2: So Rides for Lives has developed a very uh, innovative, um, you know, used technology that's appropriate for environments and places where we work. Um, our initial product was a, a village ambulance, which is a bicycle and motorcycle ambulance. And basically what this does, is takes individuals from the village to the hospital and addressing issues like a, a mother wanting to give birth but has to walk 10 miles to, get to the nearest hospital, which leads a lot of... Uh, and mortality rates in mothers and children. Um, so to address that problem, uh, I designed and built a bunch of uh, uh, village ambulances that go out, pick up the mothers and, or you know, any other patient who, who includes the need uh, of a doctor and some sort of an emergency at least to get the hospital. So if you're in America, you call 911 and, and they show up, they pick you up, and they drop you at the hospital. Everything is taken care of. When you're in the developing countries, on the other hand, that's not an option. Uh, you know, some sort of an emergency is is, is ultimately a death sentence. Um, and then our second product is a mobile health unit, and it's a high impact product, whereby we have a doctor on board, we have a lab that has equipment that do all the blood work and, and all tests of some kind from HIV screening to cervical cancer screenings um, and doing uh, cryotherapy for cancer. Um, and we have a pharmacy uh, on board. You can buy all kinds of med, meds and uh, drugs that you are uh, in need of or the doctor prescribes. So we have a, a full-blown hospital on wheels that goes around the, the market days. Because every village in Africa has a market day, whereby thousands of individuals come together um, to merchandise, sell products, but at the same time need to take care of some healthcare issues, and we are right there, and then serving individuals in places and finding them where they are.
1: That's also fantastic, and... It was really h- interesting to hear you talking about how you help women. Uh, do you see health care for women and children to be particularly lacking? And is that something you address specifically?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, I mean, in every um, very unfortunate situation, let it be war, let it be diseases, let it be, it, it ends up that like women and children um, suffer the most uh especially because you know children are very um, kind of need someone to take care of them. and and you know we are rise for lives. We, we take it very seriously to make sure that the products we design and build cater um, towards helping reduce the mortality rates in the populations among women and children.
1: And what areas of the world are in particular in need of the services that Rides for Lives offers?
2: You name any country in the world, <laughs> they need it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and what's even more interesting, even here in America or in Europe, if you come to think about it, there's so many populations, millions of people who cannot go into a regular hospital. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, thanks to Obamacare now, but, they, you know, there's lots and lots of individuals who can't go to the hospital for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this, you know, you know, product that has a full-blown hospital that goes into hard to reach areas where these services are not available, and we serve the populations and find them where they are. Um, any African country you can name, any South America, you go to Asia India, places is definitely needed all over the world Mm
1: -hmm. And what improvements have you seen because of Rides for Lives' work?
2: Um, We see a a good number, we've been surprised by some of the uh, services and the needs Uh, I would talk about the biggest surprise for us was the you know we do all kinds of screenings like I said HIV malaria preventative care and, and seeing doctors and lab work a pharmacy but because our product is very um, it's very comfortable but at the same time very it, it, it's private you, you have privacy in the times when you need a doctor to take care of some issues that you may have um, so a woman would come in and do HIV screening, for instance, and does all the other screenings at the same time, would go in the back and ask the doctor if the doctor could do some uh, cervical cancer screenings. Because she's feeling comfortable, she's feeling safe, and the, the environment is uh, private. Um, so increased numbers of cancer screenings, increased numbers of HIV care, um, it is, it are there areas we've seen as large, large improvements to yeah, do that work.
1: And how has your experience been giving back to your own community?
2: Um, it feels good, but at the same time I, you know, personally, I'm a product of someone else's generosity. Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't for someone to believe in me and trust that if they invested in me, I could you know, go try to do something in this world um, I would not be here, so yeah, you know nothing you can't p- put a price on uh the feeling you get if you provide you know some you know some care of some kind to a person who initially it was a death sentence mm-hmm. and all of a sudden now they're up on their feet, they're running, they're smiling, they're laughing and they're okay um. And it only takes it just one person, one person at a time. And in Africa, we have a, a saying that one by one makes a vandal. Um, you know, just got to take care of one person. And if I can do that, um, all the days I'm on this planet, that's the impact that um, I would love to have.
0: This Innovate series features dialogue with some of the most influential advocates for changing our world. From the CEOs and founders of major nonprofits to the directors of cultural and academic institutions, Innovate demonstrates the vital role of empathy as an agent for that change. Innovate and Aspire are produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, and the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and presented by Art Street Press and the Public Radio Exchange. We now return to our Englewood Under Thirty interview with Associate Director of Communications Holly Camisa and Chris Atageka, founder and CEO of Rides for Lives.
1: What is today's fundraising atmosphere like, and what has your experience been like with that?
2: So the fundraising atmosphere—it's um, funny you ask that because I was thinking this. I was thinking about the same thing this morning. The 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 introduction of this uh, internet companies and mobile technology which is really wonderful and making all waves and changing different uh, fields in the world and making a huge difference um, on the other hand has affected uh, lots of uh, physical products companies mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. uh, so at our bus, for instance, we serve 200 people every day, right? Uh, and if you talk to a funder in the same token, the same funder is speaking to some other person who says, you know, with my app, mm-hmm. we can reach 10 million people tomorrow, um you are less of an attractive option mm-hmm. because when you look at the impact side of things that, you know, the numbers are not as multiplying as fast as they are with the app. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that has affected a lot of the funding space um, because people are looking so much into, you know, scale and, and, and blowing up into millions and millions of, of users but not looking at the quality um, of the services that individuals are getting. Um you know, so the physical products if for us who are into like constructing and making, you know let, let it be housing, let it be uh, us building village ambulances, and mobile hospitals, anything that's physical is getting affected a lot. But with that said, there is people who still understand it. these people who still get it, and they will uh, support um, the cause.
1: Sounds like there could be more understanding of the physical aspect and also a greater appreciation for the one-by-one approach you were talking about.
2: Yep, yep, but um, again, if you're speaking to someone who's sitting in an office, um, they've never had to experience that, it's all concept, it's hard to uh, relate, but if you are presenting an app, they put out their phone and they click click, and they see it, they get it. So that's kind of the difference.
1: Mm -hmm. What other challenges have you faced working to change developing countries, and how have you been able to overcome them?
2: I mean, there's, there's lots of challenges working in developing countries. Uh, one of them, like I said, it goes back to the financing, is the idea that the demand is so high uh, compared to the resources anyone can have. There, there's, the, the problem is so giant in all places that we work. But, you know, that doesn't stop us from continuing. Like I said, it takes one person and it sums up at some point. So, resources are not, um, uh, you know, the, the demand far exceeds the resources. That's one challenge. Um, and then the other challenge is being able to navigate the regulatory issues in different countries. Um, so that kind of sets you back in terms of how fast you can go. Um, and then there is um, all kinds of issues like dealing with uh, government officials and in and, 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 and different places, it's all about what's in for me kind of mindset. Um, and that sets you back to some extent. But all in all, um, even though there are challenges, uh, you know, we slowly try to navigate and get through those and... And again, it goes back to, you know, local knowledge helps when you're providing a solution and uh, the product that you personally understand and relate to and you relate to the environment you're serving helps make the challenges a little softer and easier to navigate. Mm-hmm. But um, as opposed to someone who developed a solution in some country and bring it to, you know, in a developing country and drop it off, or try to understand the culture and the people and all those things which uh, makes it extra harder.
1: You mentioned HIV screenings and maternal care. Does Ride for Life seek to help a specific uh, set of health concerns in particular or is it targeted to provide general medical care across the board?
2: I mean specific care is is key. Um, We do maternal care, we do uh, child care, we do lots of, um, um uh, general care. But again, like I mentioned, in developing countries, it's not like America, whereby you want to go to the dentist, there's an office down the street. You want to go to an eye doctor, you go to the other side of the mm-hmm. street. You want to go to a gynecologist, there's another office somewhere else. And it's readily available for you. Mm-hmm. The other side, you know, you want to see a dentist. You want to see an eye doctor. You want to see a gynecologist. You want to see a HIV care, cancer screenings. Everything is done by one person, mm-hmm. and it's not because you know it, it, they are. It's just it's just the demand. You have to do it. Like someone will come in and say my eye hurts, and someone will come in and say my you know my teeth hurt. You know, it's 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 uh, you come in with one. Um, if you come in just targeting one solution and you want to provide this one um, set of services, then you get hit with others that you can't ignore mm-hmm. uh, because you're the only one providing some sort of service in this area. Uh, so it's just the, the environment. It's the working environment that forces you to do general care at the end of the day. Even though we do have specialized services, uh, at the end of the day, it has to be everything.
1: You talked about local knowledge and your own background. How has empathy played a role in forming the organization's approach?
2: Um, you know, empathy, compassion definitely plays a huge role, um, especially in keeping uh, me and my team grounded to, to the work, you know, however challenging and tough circumstances we may be going to do at any particular given time. Um but it, it has played a huge role. Like I mentioned, I'm the product of someone else's generosity. Just someone found me in the jungles of Africa and, and, and said, hey, I will send you to school. It's a leap of faith. It's someone who just didn't, wasn't my relative. They didn't know me. They just wanted to help. They wanted to support. They wanted to make some sort of a difference in this world. And then it's up to me to take that opportunity and make the best out of it and try somehow to give back or pay back in some way I can. Uh, however, I think I will never, ever, ever be able to pay back because what they have done in my life is uh, tremendously far, far beyond what I can ever do as, as a safe person.
1: Mm-hmm. It seems like you're doing a good job.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm trying to get there. <laughs> <Some Yeah. day. laughs>
1: So other than access to healthcare, how does Rides for Lives connect people to economic opportunities?
2: So Rides for Lives is a, not only a service-providing company, we do uh, uh, manufacturing. We make all our products locally. We use local resources. We use local labor. So we train youth on uh, employment. Uh, we train them technical skills. We train them on soft skills. Um, at the end of the training, they get um, a driver's license, so they're fully set with some sort of a skill set in their hands to go out there and acquire a job. And the ones who are like highly, highly talented we retain them and keep them on our team to continue building these products. Uh, so from the economic opportunity standpoint, uh, uh, the individuals that work for us, we have a full set of people that work inside the bus: the doctor, the lab technician, pharmacist, the driver. All those people, that that's employment. Um, and in a country like Uganda, where <laughs> the large majority of people are under 25 years, and the percentage is around 60 or 65 percent, there's a huge unemployment rate. Um, and for us, we we, we fight that by Uh, providing employment opportunities um, and getting people out of poverty at the end of the day. Mm
1: -hmm. And do you do work to help bugging entrepreneurs find success?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've I've done a lot of uh, uh, kind of because, you know, when you raise your head a little bit above the water you have a little bit of experience, I've gone through this space myself. Um, I do lots of mentorship and and connecting resources to individuals who are up and coming and, and want to, you know, create companies or be social entrepreneurs. Um, so, yeah, I, I help lots and uh, lots of individuals from uh, both here in the U.S. And, and, and in Uganda on the
0: entrepreneurship side of things.
1: What advice would you offer to young people seeking to start their own organizations like Rides for Lives?
2: Follow your passion. Um <laughs> uh, everything that you may think of that you think could help you build a company uh, I think passion is the most important element that will um, keep you grounded Uh, but what I always like to add is you've got to find that passion and as soon as you do figure out how to get paid Mm -hmm. because you have to pay bills you have to uh, rent a house or, you know, you don't, you don't want to go homeless. You can't go homeless and continue doing what you're doing. Um, so figure out what your passion is. And once you do, um, you know, figure out how to get paid and you never have to work a day in your life. So mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. Uh, but, yeah.
1: What does the future hold for Rides for Lives? And what would you ideally like to see happen?
2: Um, I think healthcare access is a right and should be a right, other than a privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would like to see um, in the future is the idea that every single person, regardless of where they're born or where they come from, they have access to this fundamental right to access uh, healthcare. So, as for rights for lives, the uh, organization we will work as hard as we can to spread the uh, the message and the products to uh, get to the bottom of the pyramid to individuals who <coughs> can live at the last mile have uh, uh, limited resources and we bring the services uh, the services to them. Um, uh, what I've learned or notices, you know, talent is universal and opportunities are not. It's the same token and the same concept that, you know, when you're born in a a certain area, you have access to opportunities. And if you're born in another part of the world, the opportunities are not there, however talented you are. Mm -hmm. So if you come to think about it that way, it's the same with healthcare. If you're born in a certain kind of world, you have access to these fundamental rights, health care, education, food, and shelter. But if you're born in another part of the world, these things are not necessarily readily available to you. Um, so, yeah, work as hard as we can to make sure that um, health care is the right, not a privilege.
1: Are you working with any other organizations or on any other projects right now, or are you fully committed to Rides for Lives for now?
2: So Rise for Life, um, I'm fully committed to the work um, and, we, you know, we're going to see, we want to see how we get to a million, our first million um, customers and individuals we serve. Um, you know, there are individuals, of course, that are either foundations or um, grant making agencies or Partners in some way we've worked in the past with Red Cross, Save the Children, UNICEF, Plan International, Samaritan right. First. All those individuals have uh, worked with us in one capacity or another. So if you're in this space, you you, you know, however much we're trying to do innovation and sometimes um, doing new products and targeting new markets, you you certainly do not want to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other people have done some things before, and you try to connect with them and the work with them.
1: Is there anything else you would like to say about yourself or rides for lives?
2: Um, yeah, all I gotta say is uh, you know we we we've been around for about four years now uh, as rides for lives, um, and you know for whoever is uh, interested in our work, they can. Uh, Connect with us and check us out at um and, and support our work. Follow us on Facebook on Twitter, and Twitter and, 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 yeah.
1: Great. Chris, thank you so much for being our guest.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate your time.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources may be found at archstreetpress.org or prx.org.